If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. In crime, Kyle Dvorak. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Tweets here. I am your host, Matt Gajeski. You can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit that notification bell. That's the best way to support Kyle, myself, and the entire Osmo crew. Let's see how many likes we can rack up today. Kyle, how are you doing, man? Did you enjoy that fantastic afternoon Wednesday night football game? Because I sure did. I mean, I watched it briefly, and I was like, "This is terrible." And uh, dude, it was a close uh, game. Like, doesn't close games aren't good games? Just just that's true. Out of this, like being close is not the only metric of being a good game. And I can tell you that was not a good game. Maybe so, maybe so. But nonetheless, I was excited to get some midweek football action. Of course, I'm I love college football, so there's football on tonight for me as well. But, you know, we have a short week for some of these teams. It's led to not quite, you know, the enormous main slate we typically see at this time of year. So we are dealing with somewhat of an abbreviated main slate. Some of the best plays are off the slate. Of course, the Chiefs are on here, so you guys will not have to weigh your decisions with Patrick Mahomes coming in at an elevated price. But, of course, today we are talking everything FanDuel. We'll talk FanDuel-specific pricing. We'll go position by position If you have questions regarding the FanDuel slate, please throw those into the chat. And as always, we really like to tie in ownership as we do this, talk about the strategy that really goes into FanDuel. 
And you and I were talking a little bit before the show. I think the main thing this week with FanDuel is navigating a pair of 10K backs. And we'll start with the quarterback position first. But, I mean, did you think we were going to get Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry north of 10K on this week's slate? Um, I mean, like, uh, before last week, I probably would have said no, but knowing what they were like, you know, knowing Derrick Henry absolutely smash and Dalvin cook was just, you know, one or two games away from smashing. It's not surprising after the fact, but like, if you would have told me Sunday morning, uh, that we were going to have multiple 10 K running backs, I would have either said you were lying or I would have jammed even more Derrick Henry. Yeah. And there's a lot of strategy that goes into this with a specific pricing on Fiondo, which we'll get into, but let's start with that quarterback position, Kyle. There's still a lot of really good signal callers on the slate. And of course, a lot of them are drawing some ownership. The pricing is pretty different here between DraftKings this week. You know, on DraftKings, I think a lot of people are going to end up, you know, with like Baker Mayfield and some other punts. On FanDuel, we're not quite seeing the same, you know, pricing structure. The most owned quarterback on this slate is Deshaun Watson. And that makes sense. It's a fantastic game environment a total north of 50 points, but he's still only coming in with 10% ownership, just north of 10%. And he's the only one that has the ownership north of 10%. Are you willing to eat this with him? I, you know, as we talk about stacks later in the show, I think he's going to be popular with a certain Brandon Cooks. So what are you doing with Watson? Is he clearly the best quarterback to target for you on the slate? Price adjusted if you want to factor that in. Yeah, I mean, adjusting for his price, he's probably one of the best, if not the best, like points per dollar plays. It's sort of a same, like for him specifically, it's a similar conversation to DraftKings. There will be conversations that are different uh, on on FanDuel. This one, not quite as much. I do think it's another spot where I'm just going to look at the ownership and say, well, at 8,200, like looking just uh, around him in price range for a few hundred more, like Aaron Rodgers like, is in just as good, like his the defense he faces is probably worse given what DK Metcalf did to the Philadelphia defense. I believe they have a higher implied, uh, yeah, they have to have a higher implied team total Green Bay does. So for like 300 more, I think Aaron Rodgers is as equivalent, if not a better play. I think part of why people are excited to play Deshaun Watson is because the field is continually getting sharper every single week, every single season. And they recognize that Brandon Cooks is in line for a massive role. So it's, of course, people want to play Watson so they end up playing Brandon Cooks, but it goes the other way as well. People want to play Brandon Cooks so they are more likely to play his quarterback. I think those things go hand in hand, especially as the field gets sharper and recognizes the value of stacking. So on both sides, this will be a conversation that doesn't have to be too much different. I think uh, I'm probably going to be fading that chalk and trying to get different elsewhere. I don't think it's a bad play by any means, though. Yeah, my main concern here is, you know, what if the drop-off from Will Fuller to Kiki Kuti and however else they decide to deploy their pass catchers, there's been a lot of reports of Jordan Aikens running more in the slot. What if, you know, just pulling Will Fuller off the field and one of these people coming in to replace him just isn't quite the same, and it has a trickle-down effect to the entire offense. And when we see these these players Watson and Cooks in particular coming in with elevated ownership. It at least gives me pause and leads me to, you know, try to take maybe a wait and see approach and fade some of these guys and see how the offense really shakes out with the emergence of Kuti and however they did. Maybe they'll go more 12 personnel. Maybe they'll pull it, you know, a practice squad level type players. They're their receiver. I'm not quite sure, but you know, we're talking about this because Will Fuller is dealing with the PED suspension. Randall Cobb is injured and they just cut Kenny still. So it's, it's going to be a situation in flux. And I'm not sure how that, that factors in against a fairly decent Indianapolis defense. But, you know, when we talk about the quarterback pricing on FanDuel specifically, typically salary affords you, you know, you can get up a little higher on FanDuel specifically. One thing I found interesting is in the top five quarterbacks, at least the most owned, we have three below 8K. And last week, for example, there was only one quarterback in the top five most owned 
that had a price tag below 8K. This week, it seems like the preferred roster construction is to pay down at quarterback and then pay up at some of the other positions. We talked about Derrick Henry. We'll talk about Dalvin Cook as we get further. But it seems the preferred option here is Kirk Cousins, 7,300. He is just shy of 10% ownership. Of course, a fantastic matchup for him going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. Their team total is over 30 right now. The game total itself is over 52. And we know Jacksonville has been one of the worst pass defenses in football. They're currently allowing 8.2 yards per pass attempt. That is bottom five. However, Kyle, if this team is going to be, you know, they're a nine and a half point favorite right now. What happens if they just run the ball? Like, how are you factoring that in when considering Kirk Cousins? I think because he's going to come in as so popular, I don't mind targeting the passing attack specifically for Minnesota because, like you said, this Jacksonville defense is terrible. The team total is really good for Minnesota. But is there going to be enough volume to go around? Like, I think it's very possible that we see only one of the two pass catchers go off because they only attempt 20 passes. And you can still get there on 20 efficient passes as, you know, as Justin Jefferson And I know efficiency is mostly what we look for when we're targeting quarterbacks, but there is a certain extent where like if he goes out and goes for under 20 passes, it's very difficult to see Kirk Cousins having a great game. I still think you need to have a baseline level of passing attempts. I think the reason that efficiency is so important for quarterbacks is most quarterbacks do go out and attempt between, you know, 30 to 35 or like 28 to 37, somewhere in that range. He falls like standard deviations below that in many games. And that's why for him, volume may actually matter, which is kind of, different from the norm for most quarterbacks where if you fall in a certain bracket of just overall passing volume it's about finding those long plays for him he actually does need to like reach a certain threshold of pass attempts so for that reason i still like targeting the passing attack but i think i'm going to be doing just one of the passing or the pass catching options and i'm probably not going for a full like uh you know justin jefferson adam thielen double stack or probably not even going to like a kyle rudolph adam thielen Kirk cousins stack i'm mostly although you could probably talk me into it limiting myself to using one of them as leverage off the rest. I like Adam Thielen. I think you could argue Justin Jefferson is just a better play. So use him like weigh weigh his projection a little more than you would weigh the leverage you get off of him and just use him as a leverage play off Dalvin Cook. So for me, Cousins is fine. I get why you go to him. I just think the passing volume actually does concern me to the point where my my love for this passing attack is only enough to get me to play one of them and it's not the quarterback. Yeah, and I agree with you. To your point on this, I think you can get away with playing one of the pass catchers because their target shares are so condensed. And you and I talked about this with Lafay earlier this week. Minnesota plays with a fullback on a lot of their snaps. And I mean, it's a very archaic form of offense, but it also takes a third wide receiver off the field. So when we're in pass plays, they essentially have a guy who can only pass block. Like they're not throwing the ball to CJ Ham. That just condenses the target share a little bit to Jefferson and Thielen. And you're seeing their target share numbers remain elevated So that is to say, even when they're maybe not attempting 35 pass attempts a game, those two still can get it done with efficiency on the the limited target volume. As far as some other highly owned quarterbacks, let's keep it in the punt range for a little bit because people will try to target the expensive backs. To get there, it's not just Kirk Cousins. It appears Ryan Tannehill and Phillip Rivers are two other signal callers. I mean, their ownership is not crazy. They are in the top five, but both of them are just barely north of 5%. Rivers is in that game we already mentioned against Houston, but they play a similar style of offense to Minnesota, where if they're ahead in games, they're typically going to try to run the ball. And the same goes here for Tennessee. Really what it comes down to is we're seeing a lot of these run heavy teams in positive game environments, you know, given the totals, both of those quarterbacks in particular, Tannehill and Rivers are in game totals north of 50. 
are you comfortable with either one given their ownership? I mean, it's still right around 5%. So let's not call them, you know, like extremely owned plays. Yeah. yeah I think I, I'm most comfortable with Tannehill because he falls into that same range as uh, like, as uh, basically a Kirk Cousins where I'm concerned with his passing volume, but he plays an opponent who I actually do believe can force him to pass the ball. They're only five and a half point favorites. The last time I checked, I think the Jaguars were 10, nine or 10 point underdogs. Yeah, you're That right. tells me, yeah, that tells me that they're uh, they're just not going to be competitive. And we've seen, you know, they're they're Jacksonville. What what can you expect from them? Whereas the Browns, probably at this point, locked in for a playoff spot. I believe they're what like eight and three, maybe is their record. They're a been, quietly good Browns team. Yeah, they're like yes, quietly very good. And it, and the thing is, it's coming largely on offense, whether it be from like spiky Baker Mayfield games or massively efficient running games. They've found ways to put up points week in and week out, and they consistently, when they're especially at home in the favored team, have massive implied team totals. And as far as underdogs go this week, they're not a bad underdog to be targeting. So for that reason, the overall game environment of Ryan Tannehill's game, although his team is set up very similarly to the Minnesota Vikings, the game environment tells me that he would be the better of the two low-volume passers to target because I believe both of them are capable of like very spiky efficiency weeks. I mean, in terms of overall efficiency, we have seen both of them, I believe, are like top five or top seven or eight and adjust yards per attempt, yards per attempt, essentially every efficiency metric. It's just whether they get, uh, you know, they get to 35 pass attempts, which isn't a lot, but if they get there and they're efficient, that's where you find the big weeks. I think we are much more likely to see Ryan Tannehill's game have a massive back and forth shootout where sure, Minnesota could put up a lot of points, but at halftime, are they going to be up by 10, 15 points? That's very possible versus the Browns. It seems much less possible. Anything's possible. You know, we can have very fluky games. Pittsburgh came in and nearly lost his 10 point favorites. So anything can happen. But given that Vegas numbers are the best thing we have to go off of, it looks like this would be the game that is much more likely to be back and forth. So I think Tannehill of all of the, he's not super cheap, but all of the cheap-ish quarterbacks is probably one of my favorites, at least among the, the modestly popular guys. Yeah. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. You are targeting one of the best game environments on the entire slate. So I do like that. I think Tannehill will be popular on FanDuel specifically. But one thing I want to ask you about this pay down at quarterback, pay up at other positions. And of course, guys, this is a Thursday show. Make sure you monitor ownership throughout the week. Last week in particular, I mean, ownership changed significantly because of the value that opened up. This week, however, people are trying to find value. And it's led me to see a lot of really impressive signal callers coming in lower owned. Justin Herbert, 5.8%. Russell Wilson, 2.1%. And one thing I heard you say a couple times when we were talking about Cousins, Tannehill, and Rivers, it's like, well, if this happens, then they can have a big game. Well, if they're in you know, a competitive game script, if you know Cleveland gets up in this game, then Tannehill will have to pass. I think there's no questions that Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson are going to have to pass. They are more expensive. Potentially, this could lead you to a different roster construction and gain you some leverage, while I think you're still accessing a ceiling without having to ask yourself these if or questions. What do you make of Herbert Wilson and some of the premier signal callers coming in with low ownership? Yeah, I mean, the way the way FanDuel pricing works is that just the best like median values on every any given week always end up being the expensive quarterbacks because the expensive quarterbacks aren't actually that much more expensive than the cheap quarterbacks, as opposed to DraftKings, where there is a significant gap between, you know, getting Baker Mayfield at five point whatever K and paying up all the way to the top for a patch from Holmes on a given slate. FanDuel's pricing kind of squishes all the quarterbacks together. So it's viable to pay up for these guys. And not only is it viable, but they do like median wise project for the best overall like points per dollar projections. 
And on top of that, it's exactly what you said. Paying for these guys, going with even a locket Russell Wilson stack is going to be significantly different. It's funny you said that like Russell Wilson is going to need to be throwing. Ironically, he won't need to be, and his team doesn't care. They haven't cared all season. It's like they they feel the need to throw because they have Russell Wilson, Wilson which is absolutely correct. That is something that we have said for five or six years it's finally that pete carroll and brian schottenheimer are realizing it right now they're second in the nfl in passing percentage over expectation meaning even when you adjust for the situations they've been in which they're a successful team so they're often like leading they still pass at one of the highest rates in the league they're trailing only the chiefs now and they were leading the league for most of the year so regardless of if they're big favorites or not russell wilson's a guy who shockingly this is something i never thought i'd get to say you can rely on him to not, you know, not do the Kirk Cousins, the Ryan Tannehill thing where his team gets up and they just run the football. Plus, you get the unique, unique build of an overall lineup by paying up for, you know, even Rodgers, kind of the same thing. You pay up for Rodgers, you pay up for Adams. You're necessarily fading two of, you know, quote, the best plays by fading uh, Dalvin Cook and, uh, you know, and a Derrick Henry. You just really can't. Uh, I can't imagine trying to afford all those guys. So for me, I actually think you're kind of on the same approach that I am where I think if you're paying, uh, like if you're looking to get different at quarterback, you get different at quarterback by paying up, you get different receiver by paying up, and you've already by just by necessity gotten different at running back because you're at least not paying for the most of the expensive guys. Yeah, you're right. And I like that approach at this point in the week. We'll have to wait, of course. I mean, there are some running backs that might open up some value. Josh Jacobs looks like he's legitimately questionable. So if we had like a Devontae Booker chalk week or something, I think Russell Wilson would become a lot more popular in our ownership. And we're talking about ownership a lot. If you guys are interested in this tool and all of the other great Osmo Plus tools and content, we have them for nearly every DFS sport out there with an Osmo Plus weekly pass for $29.95. This includes full access to all the premium content and tools on Osmo.com, including player projections, ownership projections, our premium Slack channel, and much more. If you're only looking to play NFL, then you can sign up for a weekly NFL package for $14.95 or give our NFL Express weekly pass a shot for just $3.95. Again, these are tools that Osmo Alex Baker creates himself, uses himself. Ownership is, I think, the most useful tool for NFL DFS that you could possibly reference. And it's so nice that it changes every single day whenever news is basically released. And I think the biggest thing with ownership this week, to me at the running back position, is Dalvin Cook. He's still coming in north of 30% with a 10.5K price tag after a dud last week. And I mean, he, he got injured within the game, so I'll qualify that statement a little bit. But the question I have to ask you, I, I think the common roster construction, Kyle, is going to be Dalvin Cook, pay down a quarterback, and then jam in like a Deshaun Watson, Brandon Cook stack, who's also cheap himself. How are you navigating what projects to be a chalky roster construction overall with Dalvin Cook right now? Yeah, I think because of that, I'm fine eating like the non-Dalvin Cook chalk at running back because although like if I play Austin Eckler, who is just like a, kind of egregiously priced, I, like saving 3,500 to go from Dalvin Cook to Austin Eckler just seems like such an efficient use of salary. You're still paying for nearly, you know, 28% ownership by going to Austin Eckler, but I haven't pigeonholed myself into playing the other plays that everyone else is. I still have a lot of optionality of whether, you know, I can play Austin Eckler and also pay up for Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers stack. I'm still, you know, got to make some decisions elsewhere, but I can afford to do that because he's only 7K. Whereas when I pay up for Dalvin Cook, I am necessarily pigeonholing myself into a very specific, probably cheap quarterback cheap wide receiver stack build like I'm probably not playing even Ryan Tannehill AJ Brown I probably have to play Ryan Tannehill Corey Davis if that's the approach I want to take so for that reason 
if I'm paying for chalk at running back, it's the cheap chalk because I don't, I don't force myself to play the other chalk elsewhere. So for that reason, Dalvin Cook or Austin Eckler, I'm probably going Eckler. Josh Jacobs, I'm really not sure at this point if we see him play. He was a DNP on Wednesday. And, uh, you know, I, I still think people would probably be fine going up to Dalvin Cook. It'd just be more comfortable going Dalvin Cook and expensive guys. Outside of that, I think, uh, like, James, James Robinson, maybe. James Robinson plus a Minnesota passing attack guy would be maybe the way to approach this game as opposed to going Dalvin Cook because, again, it saves you the money. You're allowed to get different. Then you get up to guys like, you know, an Aaron Jones. You're still saving $2,000 off of Dalvin Cook and 1600 off of Derrick Henry. So I think all of the modestly owned, you know, 7 to 8K range guys, I'm going to mostly prefer all of them to a Dalvin Cook just because of his price and what his price forces you to do. I like that quite a bit. I I want to play Josh Jacobs so bad this week because mm-hmm. Las Vegas is playing the Jets. Like I want to in my heart, and I think it's the first time I've ever said to myself, I want to play Josh Jacobs. And I mean, this goes back to his college days. I remember I was I had a prop bet on where he was going to get drafted because if you remember that draft, the Raiders picked 22 and 25. I'm like, there's no way they pick him at 22. They can easily let him slide to 25 and still get him. Of course, they pick him at 22. Bust my bankroll. <laughs> was that the was that the draft where they took uh, Cleland Farrell and no one had him as like a top ten prospect? Yep. When you saw that happen, you're like, well, I've already lost my Josh Jacobs bet. Yeah, this is hundred million dollar man John Gruden making some optimal decisions here. But optimal. Uh, going back to Jacobs, as far as the DFS play on FanDuel goes, he's seventy eight hundred. And even if he's active, I just want to point out that there are concerns with him. We've seen it this year where Josh Jacobs, he's a warrior. He's going to play through just about anything he possibly can, but that's limited his workload in certain games. And we've seen Devontae Booker pop up for big games here. So even if he's active, I do have some pause with Josh Jacobs, 25% ownership. I'm probably going to fade that even though the matchup is just so, so good, but there's other running backs in this range. And you talked about the seven K range a lot. So I want to highlight some guys in this range and really get your favorites. I mean, let's, let's, expand this to like 6.5 to 8k ish Mm -hmm. just shy of the 8k you have Eckler at 7k you talked about him already you David Montgomery is just outside this range we can talk about him later but there's James Robinson there's DeAndre Swift at 6.8k he's someone I really like in the low end of that range Miles Sanders there's Alvin Kamara who's coming in with a price discount who are your favorites among this group so I'll push up, uh, I'll sneak in because I'm not sure if we'll get a chance to talk about the highest of this range to 8K. Let's throw it to 9K because I want to talk about Nick Chubb. And I think Nick Chubb is like the perfect, I mean, like, I don't know. What, what if what if you moved on to wide receiver and I didn't get to talk about Nick Chubb? That's like my greatest nightmare this week is not getting to talk about Nick Chubb. So because, uh, you know, we'll, we'll throw him into this 8K range, you know, even though he's above 8K. 8,700. I think really the reason I think Nick Chubb is the perfect leverage play is one, he's going to be like, three to five percent owned despite coming back and seeing 19 carries at least 19 carries in three consecutive games over 100 yards and every game back since I think it was a knee injury that he was on injured reserve with he doesn't catch passes though and although that doesn't sound like a good thing one in terms of the points it generates on FanDuel it's not awfully important not nearly as important as it on DraftKings and that means that necessarily for Nick Chubb to have a good game his team probably has to keep it fairly close or even potentially upset the Tennessee Titans Derrick Henry exists on the other side of that coin where for him to have a good game He probably needs to be working from positive game scripts, getting in the red zone a lot like we saw versus the Colts. These two things are diametrically opposed, and we're going to get high-priced, high-owned Derrick Henry, lower but still high-priced, obviously, and low-owned Nick Chubb. 
I think it's unlikely, not impossible, but it's unlikely that the two guys both go off for incredible games within the same game. So for that reason, when I think Nick Chubb has, you know, a chance that the Browns keep it close, and if they do, he runs a ton, he's probably negatively correlated with fairly chalky Derrick Henry. I think he's the perfect leverage play on this slate. And on Vandal, maybe even more so because, you know, on DraftKings, I am a little worried that, you know, say he just goes for 100 yards and a touchdown. It's like, what, like 19, 20 points or something like that. Well, he doesn't have any receiving equity. It's not really great for DraftKings. On Fanduel, that's not nearly as important. If he ends up getting like 20 points, I'd probably smash, and I'd probably smash specifically at the expense of Derrick Henry. I like that play a lot. Nick Chubb has been someone I've been playing for leverage. There's this negative connotation around Nick Chubb. It's Kareem Hunt in the timeshare, and you know Kareem Hunt siphoning off pass game work. But this Cleveland Browns team is running so many plays, and specifically so many run plays, that it really hasn't mattered for Nick Chubb. You talked about his carry counts in recent games. There's a lot of teams like this, and Austin Eckler is a perfect example. Early in the year, people were avoiding Austin Eckler, but the Los Angeles Chargers are running more plays than any other team in the NFL. That's led to 20-plus touch games for Eckler routinely, and Joshua Kelly can still come in and siphon off his five to seven carries, and we've seen this with a couple of offenses. Cleveland is a prime example. Another one that is slowly trending this direction is Arizona. So for the same reason, do you have interest in Kenyon Drake? He's coming in sub 5% owned. Unlike Nick Chubb, he is only 6.6K on FanDuel. Yeah, I, I, he was actually one of the guys I had like picked out as like, so we have like Chris Carson at 8K, who's like, at this point, the what we saw from him when he came back in his first game was like, he did split work a decent amount with Carlos Hyde for 8K. Like you were probably getting way less work than you are with someone like Kenyon Drake. And recently we've seen a little bit of a, a rushing decrease from Kyler Murray potentially just because uh, like I know he's dealing with I think it was like a shoulder injury earlier also could just be they're feeding you know Kenyon Drake more so at his price I think the touches you buy for 6600 is maybe like the best touches per dollar value proposition outside of like a, a David Montgomery but you have to eat the chalk and you also have to play a Chicago Bear by playing David Montgomery so I think in the same price range he's probably a really good leverage playoff of Montgomery and not that like awfully like unlikely to hit relative to someone like David Montgomery sure I'm sure you get more targets routes run from David Montgomery he's been doing a lot of that at least not awfully efficiently but he's been running a lot of routes and getting a decent amount of targets since Tariq Cohen went down you give that up by playing Kenyon Drake but you probably increase your probability of scoring touchdowns because you're not playing a Chicago Bear so Kyle let's talk about David Montgomery he is coming in with 23 percent ownership he is a rare favorite over the Detroit Lions who just fired their coach The total in this game is still horrifically low. We're talking about a 42-point total, but this is probably the best game environment to target David Montgomery all season. If David Montgomery is chalk, are you going to eat a little bit of this? I think he's another avenue to paying up at some other positions, probably at the running back position. You're going to have to punt somewhere, and it looks like some people will do it at quarterback and some people will play David Montgomery. Do you have a preference? Uh, I don't know. I I guess I'd probably go with if I had to choose between – punting uh punting you don't have quarterback to do either. you don't have to do either yeah I'm, I'm probably not doing either i think david montgomery is fine he's okay if you made me choose i'd probably go with dave montgomery because i actually think like he is a good value given his 6200 price tag he definitely projects as a good value probably the cheapest way to buy a real bell cow role i don't like his offense i don't like his offensive line i don't think he's that good as a player all these things make me say that if i can fade both in the context of the question i will probably do that but i get why you go to dave montgomery he at least like projects in the median as a good play this week 
What about Miles Gaskin? There have been a couple of people in the chat asking about Miles Gaskin. Is Miles Gaskin going to play? Kyle and I don't know this. It looked like he was legitimately questionable last week and they decided not to activate him. I would guess just another week removed from the injury. Miles Gaskin has a much better chance to play. And of course, we get the Miami Dolphins slated to face. I mean, it is probably their best matchup in recent weeks outside of the Jets. They're playing Cincinnati. They are 11 and a half point favorites and the game total is only 42, but that still gives Miami a pretty healthy team total right around 27. I think this is an Austin Eckler-esque situation where we don't know if Miles Gaskin is going to handle a full workload. There is the chance he does though. And if he's coming in with lower ownership in a matchup against Cincinnati, I think I'm willing to target at least a little bit of him in tournaments. How are you approaching Miles Gaskin? I 100% agree. I don't think it takes a lot to get over the field on him because he's not going to be that popular, but you get the upside if he comes back and dominates in that role that he played to start the season. And the role he played, like in, it was probably like weeks three, four, and he was doing it pretty early in the season, probably from weeks three to, you know, eight or nine, I would guess, was one of the most used players in the league, given his target share numbers and his backfield carry share numbers. And if he comes back to that role this week, we just saw Wayne Gallman take advantage of the exact same matchup. We know the Bengals are not going to be able to establish like time of possession, establish just an overall equitable play volume split between them and their opponents. We should see Miami get to run just a bevy of plays this week. If he does end up playing, I do think he would be a, a very solid like uh, speculative upside play. I'd be worried about someone like Salvin Ahmed, who I don't think played last week, but he did return to practice this week as far as I can tell. So I'd be you know, modestly worried about him splitting the backfield carries. But the difference between that and the upside is not worth not playing in tournaments. I don't really care about placing like, like, oh, did I sacrifice a handful of carries because Salvin Ahmed came in? Sure, I, I maybe that happens. But that's the difference between going from, you know, first to 10,000 and the difference between 10,000 and last. Last. Last is nothing. Last versus one place out of cashing means nothing to me. It's the difference of finding that two, three, 5% running back who goes out and gets 25 carries, four targets. That means something to me because that can get me from a min cash to a first place finish, which is where all the equity is in tournaments anyway. So if I can find that in someone like Miles Gaskin, I'm probably going to be over the field on him in a great matchup too. It's not like we're playing him on the off chance that he comes in as, you know, James Robinson, a 10 point underdog. He'll be in a great spot. So I actually think that's a really good spot to find uh, like a good, just pick up by you in tournaments. I love it. And guys, listen to Kyle. We're talking to first place winner, Kyle. I, I'm sorry, I forgot what tournament you won last weekend, but Kyle did bank himself a nice tournament here. So he's got all the strong advice, but there are 150 of you watching this show. Hit the thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel if you enjoy everything we have going on here. It is the best way to support us. And of course, you are watching us on YouTube right now, but maybe you're not able to. Almost all of our YouTube shows are available on the Awesome Podcast Network. Anywhere you can find podcasts, you can you can head over to awesome.com slash podcast and check out the latest wherever you find them. Once you're there, drop a five-star rating and review with your Twitter, hand, Twitter handle or Awesome username included, and you could win a free week of Awesome Plus. We'll be giving away free Awesome Plus pass every week to the person who submits our favorite review. So make sure to do that. Check it out. Of course, YouTube, unless you're a premium subscriber, you can't close out or at least lock your phone while you're watching the video. So the podcast number has been huge for me when I'm trying to watch some other shows. So make sure to check that out. Kyle, let's head over to wide receiver. We touched on this a little bit at the beginning. We, we hit on Brandon Cooks a lot. He's the most owned wide receiver for good reason. He already was the target leader in Houston prior to the Will Fuller suspension. Of course, Kenny Stills and Randall Cobb's departures from the offense. 
only project to increase his target share further. He's competing with Kiki Kuti, Jordan Akins, and uh, Darren Fells, who knows who else. So we know he's going to be heavily owned. We know Watson's going to be heavily owned. I, I think in cash games, that's almost a lock. In tournaments, I mean, you can get away from it. I still think it's going to be the, a very chalky build in tournaments, which leads me more to, to fading a guy like Brandon Cooks. How are you approaching the situation in tournaments? Are you just going to downright fade the Houston stack? Or are you maybe going to play a little bit and get different elsewhere? Yeah, so I was looking up while you were talking about, like, what if Deshaun Watson just simply isn't as good with Will Fuller on the field? And I, I sort of in the back of my head do know that his adjusted yards per attempt is particularly high when throwing to Will Fuller. Uh, like, how, how come Will, Will are... Fuller's a demon, man, speed demon, Notre Dame product. You can't hold him down. What do you think his adjusted yards per attempt is when throwing to Will Fuller? 11 it's a little higher actually no 11 way. Uh, yeah it's 11, 11 like a nine i think a nine adjusted yards per attempt would lead the nfl this season it'd be about leading the nfl it's 11.6 and then looking down kenny still wow. is actually at 9.7 brandon cooks isn't bad it's like 8.9 but the funniest part is kiki Kute among qualified receivers which is 50 targets in deshaun watson's career is down at 5.2 Going from shifting some of those targets down to Brandon Cooks, then some of those targets down to Kiki Kuti, there's a very real chance that this kind of buries the Texans' offense, turns them into, like, from this high-flying, deep-passing, mega-efficient passing attack to probably still not a bad offense. They're, like, third in the NFL in passing yards per game, but just a middle-of-the-road, lacking that true difference-maker offense, and that concerns me so for that reason i like the volume you're going to go with brandon cooks there's no way i'm going to dock the fact that he is now unquestionably the number one receiver with a large gap between him and two for deshaun watson that's very good if i'm building a lineup i have all my stacks in place and i pull up my last receiver spot or my flex spot spot and i see sixty five hundred dollars left brandon cooks is perfectly fine to fit in there especially on FanDuel, where his ownership is not quite as egregious it was like almost a third of the field on DraftKings on FanDuel. I'm fine making that chalky decision as the last decision point in one of my lineups. But am I going out of my way to play him? I don't think so. I think in his price range, like for $400 more, you can get an Allen Robinson who not only, you know, he's going to be popular too, but he actually probably acts as good leverage off of someone like David Montgomery. So I think in terms of the price, it's good, but it's not unbeatable. There are guys in his price range that can beat him. Will they? I don't know. They're less likely to, but how much less likely? A few percentage points? That seems like about the right answer. So for me, I'm mostly fading the Texans, but if there's an open spot in my lineup, I don't think Brandon Cooks at 23% ownership is someone you just have to cross out of your player pool. Well, Kyle, I am happy you brought up Allen Robinson's name. I purposely left Mitch Trubisky out of the quarterback discussion (laughs) because I knew we were going to talk about him when Allen Robinson came up. And I I say this because Allen Robinson is our second most owned wide receiver on FanDuel this week, at least projected at this point in the week. And typically for me, with my wide receivers, I am trying to correlate with my quarterback as much as possible. Of course, there are going to be secondary correlations. You can't correlate every single pass catcher in your lineup with a quarterback. Because Allen Robinson projects to be heavily owned, Mitch Trubisky is garnering some ownership as well. He's not top five. It's not crazy. But I'm just having a really hard time stomaching this Allen Robinson chalk, knowing Mitch Trubisky's at the helm. I know Trubisky, if anything, helps him. The target volume has been healthier for Robinson when Trubisky is the quarterback, but man, this is a tough sell for me. He's he's pretty cheap, 6.9K. You're still eating this chalky roster construction overall. If you eat the stack, you know, it's Trubisky to Robinson, probably Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry. How do we navigate the Bears stacking? 
Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not stacking the bears. You couldn't. You couldn't pay me to stack these bears. But I do think <laughs> the volume will be there. Like the volume will be there, and it's the thing we talked about earlier, where volume is much more important for the wide receivers than it is more so for uh, like the quarterbacks, especially when you have a bad quarterback. I think if you have a good quarterback, that script can flip a little bit. But in terms of just uh, like in an individual level, I want efficient quarterbacks and wide receivers who see the ball a lot. I think for this Bears team. They will not have an efficient quarterback, almost certainly, but they will have a wide receiver who sees the ball a lot. You alluded to it, but in the games that Mitch Trubisky started and finished, it's like 34% target share and I think 37% air yard share. We see a ton of Allen Robinson in our limited sample of Mitch Trubisky. Does he get efficient targets? No, not necessarily, but does he get a lot of them? Yes, he does get a lot of them. He gets an easy matchup for his terrible Detroit secondary. I think I'm fine going to him specifically because it acts as leverage off of David Montgomery, who will also be popular. You can steal those touchdowns, steal long splash plays by not letting David Montgomery get to rack up three point yard, like 3.5 yards per carry. You know, all these Allen Robinson targets potentially come at the expense of another chalky player. Whereas when I play Brandon Cooks, not only am I uh, eating the same amount of ownership, actually a little more, but I also don't hurt anyone else's lineups by playing Brandon Cooks. I only correlate myself with the field. So at least with Allen Robinson, you can say for every touchdown I score with my Allen Robinson lineups, that's a touchdown David Montgomery doesn't score. So out of the two chalky guys, I would much prefer Allen Robinson. I still think I'm probably going to be under the field on him though, because most of the players I'm over the field on are just the guys I'm stacking. And you know, like I said, none of this Mitch Trubisky nonsense. I'm with you on the Mitch Trubisky nonsense. I'm not going to take any of that stack. I, I honestly probably will not play a ton of Robinson either. Just I don't see myself getting to a ton of this game. If I do, I already know the stack it's going to be. It's going to be a secondary correlation, likely DeAndre Swift to Allen Robinson on the other side. It's not going to, I'm not going to have a lot of David Montgomery. As my, my brother famously said, if you need three yards, David Montgomery will get you three yards. If you need five yards, David Montgomery will get you three yards. But Kyle, one team that is carrying a decent amount of ownership at the wide receiver position that's not really reflected in at quarterback, at least, is the LA Rams. And this isn't quite as drastic as it is on DraftKings. Early ownership projections have the Rams receivers very high on DraftKings specifically. On FanDuel, Cooper Cup is coming in. He's number four in ownership. He's actually tied for number three. Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup are just north of 16.5% ownership. They are tied. And Robert Woods is coming in top 10 owned as well. He's just around 14% ownership. However, Jared Goff, he's not anywhere near the top five. So I, I just found this very interesting that people are really trying to take the Rams pass catchers and not correlate with the quarterback. I, I honestly think for this reason, I'm probably going to get to a little Jared Goff this week. If we just take a look at the game environment, it's a, a total approaching 49. Of course, they're playing Arizona, another pass heavy team at times this year. They've skewed a little towards the run of late, but Jared Goff in particular when they get down in games, the Rams become a pass first team. Last year, Jared Goff tied for the league lead in pass attempts. So this is something we've seen from them for a significant sample. Do you have interest in the Rams pass catcher specifically? And are you willing to correlate with Jared Goff? Yeah, the Rams pass catchers are probably significantly better plays in tournaments on FanDuel specifically, because even though they kind of the scoring doesn't really align, you know, you think of them as PPR guys. Most of what I'm looking for is simply the ownership. And we're just not seeing that egregious ownership as we are on DraftKings. And like you said, there are actually ways to get unique. Like we're not going to see, I don't think, really any ownership on Jared Goff on FanDuel. I think if you can correlate your modestly chalky plays with their quarterback who won't be popular, that's a way to say that, you know, every time, let's say you play simply a Robert Woods, Jared Goff single stack, you run it back with, you know, we'll say Kenyon Drake in this example. We talked about Drake earlier. Let's say you do that. 
every time you get a Robert Woods touchdown, sure, he's chalky, you know, 14 or whatever percent of your opponents also get six points, but you get 10 points on every Robert Woods touchdown. So you are like over correlating yourself with the, like you are leverage, like your leverage. I mean, it's literally financially what it's called. Like, you know, it's a like X, like whatever X leverage ETF. That's what you're doing with your Robert Woods. Every time he scores, you simply gain more points than the field does for the most part, those who didn't stack him than those guys do. Then you also give the ball immediately back to your Kenyon Drake share. So for that reason, I think the best way to approach these guys is because we're not going to see a lot of ownership on almost anyone else in this game really would be to either use it as a secondary stack and correlate it with an Arizona guy or use it as your primary stack and correlate it with Jared Goff. And yeah, we're not going to see a ton of ownership on Goff in a pretty good game environment. Both these teams play fast. Like you said, when the game script breaks, right, we can see a lot of passing volume from someone like Jared Goff. So I actually really like your approach with these guys is that, uh, you know, don't just do the basics and play a good value, Robert Woods. Correlate your Robert Woods with the rest of your lineup. And you had me feeling quite smart. Maybe I'll take down a tournament this week, or at least let's hope so, Kyle. Navigating the rest of ownership here. I mean, there are places I am very interested in targeting. And specifically, I want to hit on some of the signal callers that you were very interested in in the beginning. So we had a decent amount of ownership on Tannehill. We had a decent amount of ownership on on Phillip Rivers, excuse me. And I'm looking down the list at their first pass catchers. Like, where am I Where am I finding the stacking options with Phillip Rivers? Well, I, I scroll and I scroll and I scroll, and then I find Michael Pittman at 6.4K. Uh, Tannehill specifically looking for, you know, AJ Brown, Corey Davis. I see Corey Davis coming in at, at 10%. AJ Brown is coming down at 7%. And of course these are, are price adjusted. AJ Brown is 8.2 K on FanDuel. But I mean, if we're going to have a semi-owned quarterback, but he again is not correlating, these people aren't correlating with their primary pass catchers. I think that's one Avenue you guys can use to exploit ownership a little bit this week and still access really high game totals. For example, like I'm, I'm not heavily interested in Tannehill because the game not only has to break his way, but then, you know, he has to have a good game still. But Tennessee with a 29, near 30% or near 30 team total overall, if he's going to come in decently owned, but A.J. Brown is 7%, like I'm going to play that stack. Same thing with, with Phillip Rivers. If the Indianapolis team total is nearly 28 points and Michael Pittman is coming in at 6.4%, well, I'm just going to play this stack. How are you navigating some of the highly owned quarterbacks that don't have highly owned pass catchers? Yeah, I'm a little more hesitant with Philip Rivers simply because I don't really know. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't an example, know, man. <laughs> no, like, uh, but I, I will because we'll get to one of the ones you mentioned that I like. So if I'm choosing between them, Philip Rivers, I just don't know if I'm going to get it right when I pick my stacking options. Like, it could be a tight end. Like, it could be any of three tight ends any of like two to three receivers. It could be their pass catching running back who goes off. Any of these guys could be the right answer to when I play Philip Rivers, who should I stack with him? There are far fewer wrong answers and far more percentage wise, far more right answers when I stack a Ryan Tannehill. And this Tannehill stack actually kind of reminds me of what we've seen with the Browns a lot is the Browns almost always come in as like when they're home favorites, very high implied team totals, like top three or four implied team totals. And typically that does lead to you playing the running backs, but I forget which game it was. What was the game where we had David Njoku double score? We had Harrison Bryant score Baker Mayfield through five touchdowns because sure, they are more likely to score their touchdowns rushing when they are projected to score four touchdowns, but fluky things can happen and they can get to the five and decide, well, we can't goal line run it here. Let's pass. And they score touchdowns that way. 
So I think Tannehill, when his team has a very high implied team total, as long as the Tannehill stack, which is really what's important, I don't care about his ownership if his ownership doesn't look to be correlated with his top receiver or even a secondary receiver. Corey Davis has a number two receiver. has played well this year. His ownership at 10% or whatever is perfectly fine to stack him with. When that stack is not going to be super highly owned, but I know it has potential to tap into 29 implied team total, I think it's always end up being a great leverage play off with Derrick Henry. Kirk Cousins even kind of fits that bill. I'm just a little more concerned that the game doesn't stay quite as close as I want, but I get why you would go to that as well. I think Tannehill is my favorite of them. And like I said, you know, at least versus a Phillip Rivers, I'm, I probably have like a, what, a one in three or so chance of getting my stack option right if you throw Jonu Smith in there, although the way he's being used is not really great anymore. So I feel like if I play a handful of Tannehill lineups, I've probably got, if it hits, the right stacking option somewhere in there because there's like two and a half really viable stacks to make. I agree with you. And that's an approach I think I'm definitely going to take as I just try to weave my way, navigate the ownership this week. It's going to be really interesting to see how the week breaks. I kind of hope it stays kind of similar to what we have now, because I'm Mm -hmm. really liking some of the leverage spots. And one of the biggest leverage spots I think we have on the entire week is the Seattle stack. And we talked about Wilson being expensive, of course, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are expensive as well, but they have some of the highest ceilings on the entire slate and DK Metcalf is just north of 2% owned on FanDuel. Tyler Lockett is sub 2% owned on FanDuel with the projected chalky roster construction of pay down at quarterback, primary receiver, pay up at running back. If you just pay up at quarterback, pay up at wide receiver, and maybe you pay down a running back for a miles Gaskin, you're accessing a similar ceiling, but you're taking a ton of leverage and a fraction of the ownership. How are you looking at some of the expensive stacks? A couple that stand out, Seattle, you can do the Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams stack. That looks like it's going to be a little chalkier just because of Adams himself and the top five most owned receivers. But I still think you're accessing a contrarian build, if that makes sense. Yeah, I completely agree. You are just playing a type of roster that is not going to be duplicated and that the players who are playing the chalk, your Dalvin Cooks, you know, whomever, are not going to be able to get to. And in terms of, man, this this Russell Wilson stack is going to be so low. Our ownership projection on DK Metcalf right now, after just annihilating like a top flight corner, I get it. He's 8.5 K. It only takes one K more to get to Devonte Adams for a hundred less. You can play, you know, Calvin Ridley or whatever. I get that. The price is not great for DK Metcalf, but when you look at the guys who score, like, like what would you have had to have paid for Tyreek Hill last week for him to not be a, a good play? Like it would have literally been 20 K or something like there would have been, like, it would have been a vast majority of your salary. When the guys hit their 95th percentile ceiling, their price largely becomes irrelevant. If he goes out and scores three times, like the Tyler Lockett game or whatever, it will not matter how much you had to pay for him. So this Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf stack coming in at like no ownership. Our Russell Wilson ownership is tiny. And then you look at the DK Metcalf ownership, less than 3%. I think that is like the ideal leverage play. And like I talked about earlier, Seattle's a team that doesn't really, at least as far as this season goes, care about game script in terms of passing and running. So sure, they're very big favorites against a pretty terrible Giants team. It doesn't matter. At least it hasn't mattered because they've been comfortable passing all the way up until the fourth quarter. And they have a crazy implied team total of 28. It's probably top three or four on the main slate. So you get a lot of points. You get points that no one else is getting because no one but you and I are going to be stacking the Seahawks apparently. And you do that while also necessarily fading the the chalk running back. So that's probably my favorite stack because I don't think it has that much worse odds of going off relative to an Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams stack. But Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams is simply going to be much more popular because Devontae Adams. And I get it. I, that's also a stack I will have. 
it's that I'll probably just have more versus the field of Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf and to an extent, Tyler Lockett too. I'm with you hundred percent. And I think if that stack stays stay as low owned, it is going to be a focal point of my builds this weekend. It also projects very well. And if you're interested in player projections, I have news for you. Every single day, there's free stuff at Osmo.com. Today and through Sunday, you can access NFL player projections for free. Among many other tools on Osmo, the, the free content, it changes nearly every single day. Lucky for you guys, the player projections will be free through Sunday. And if you want to just keep up with everything sports and DFS, follow us at Osmo underscore com on the Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook. It's all there. You can check out any of our specific sports. There's a ton of giveaways that happen on these channels on Twitter. Typically on Thursdays, we have Thursday night football. We do a lot of giveaways for the Island games. Of course, today there's no Island game, so there's no giveaway, but Mm -hmm. make sure you follow that, get access to all the free stuff and check out those NFL player projections. Another very useful tool that Kyle and myself access every single week. I use it to uh, like almost strictly build my cash lineup from, from those tools. But uh, Kyle, let's pivot to tight end position. My personal favorite position, your personal favorite position. The first question we ask ourselves is, do we have Travis Kelsey? Do we have George Kittle? Do we have Darren Waller? This week, we have one of the above in Darren Waller. And you know what I'm going to say? Darren Waller is projected to be the most owned tight end on the slate. No surprises here. 17%, a little lower than I thought, perhaps because of the dud game that Las Vegas put up last week. But lucky for Waller, he's facing the New York Jets. Is this a spot you're willing to eat the ownership? Yeah, I think this is a spot where I am willing to eat the ownership to answer your own question with your exact words. It's yeah, I actually think 17% right now is what we haven't projected at. I actually thought he would come in like at 20 plus 25 even. So I am a little surprised that he simply just comes in, you know, significantly under 20%. I would rather, you know, take if I'm paying up, there's really no one else to pay up for. And even the guys who come, you know, within a thousand of him are not deserving to be within a thousand of him, frankly, given the overall market share numbers he sees. The only concern, like the reason you would fade him is that this is a team that historically, or at least this year, historically has been pretty sensitive to game script when they are winning, they run the ball a whole hell of a lot. And when they're in, you know, contentious games, they actually pass the ball a decent amount. That's very good for Darren Waller in games where they are losing or close. This is not going to be one of those, but they also have a pretty high implied team total. They could be either without or almost certainly dealing with an injured running back as their lead running back. So maybe that does skew things a little more pass heavy, despite obviously them having a massive lead. And they don't really throw to anyone else. Darren Waller right now leads the league in tight end target share with like a 3% gap between him and the next guy who's Travis Kelsey. And I think Kittle's tied with them as well. You get a lot of the overall pie, at least the passing pie. Your only concern is that they don't end up passing a lot. That's a legitimate concern. I'd rather eat the chalk and correlate with like a Denzel Mims on the other side, even Rashad Perriman to extent, than you know, take my chances playing just some truly awful tight ends until you get down to like the cheap guys. But even the cheap guys on FanDuel are never as good as they are in DraftKings. So my, I think my strategy is to go over the field on Darren Waller and then correlate when I'm not doing that. Yeah, FanDuel is different from DraftKings and primarily at the tight end position. The, the highs and the lows of the pricing tier aren't as drastic as we see on DraftKings. You're not saving as much money by punting off tight end completely. And this really speaks to the mid-range too. For example here, I mean, the differences between your complete punt tight ends, let's use someone like Darren Fells, for example. Darren Fells is 4800 Well, you know, I, I go up a couple hundred dollars, not even, and I'm at Hayden Hurst at 5600 which is a significant upgrade. I go up about 1000 and I'm at Hunter Henry. 
So, I mean, paying down at tight end, at least all the way down, doesn't quite make as much sense on FanDuel to me. I'd say the primary thing I'm trying to do, if possible, is correlate to my quarterback. So we're talking about some other highly owned tight ends in Mike Jasicki, Jordan Akins. With these highly owned tight ends that are also, I mean, extremely touched on dependent dart throws, if you want to liken them to, I mean, that's basically just how I would describe them. If they're not correlated and they're 12% owned in Jasicki's case, they're 9% owned in Jordan Aiken's case. Like I'm just going to fade those guys and try to play someone with a similar projection at a lower ownership because of the volatility. So to sum this up, correlation is very important to me at tight end. Otherwise going just to the punt range with low ownership is where I'll typically look to go. Do you have any interest in the highly owned players? I, I guess there is some hidden upside with Jordan Aiken's given the absences in the Texans offense. No, I completely agree with you. And like the questions are, well, am I playing? It's uh, We actually don't know if it's which Miami quarterback it's going to be, but I'm probably not playing either of them. Maybe you could talk me into some Fitzpatrick if he ends up getting the start. But as of now, am I playing Miami quarterback? No, not playing Mike Gusecki. Am I playing Houston quarterback? We know who the Houston quarterback is going to be, but still, no, I'm not playing Jordan Akins. I'm not playing Matthew Stafford, so I'm not playing TJ Hawkins. And the first player we actually get to that I might be playing their quarterback would be Hunter Henry and his quarterback of, of Justin Herbert because it kind of fills that same bill of expensive quarterback as opposed to the cheap quarterback and chalk roster. So although he is only a 1,000 less than Darren Waller, and I think it's worth getting up to, at the end of the day, we're kind of just touchdown hunting. There's not uh, like even Darren Waller's yardage upside hasn't been incredible this year. So if I think I have one to two touchdown upside by playing Hunter Henry and he correlates my quarterback in that scenario, I will take him over Darren Waller just because I'm looking to build these high volatility lineups that can carry me to first of the actual like decent values. Kyle Rudolph at 5k isn't the worst assuming Irv Smith doesn't play. And I don't think he has returned to practice yet. So it doesn't look awfully likely. And basically, anytime we get Justin Jefferson as modestly popular, Dalvin Cook as very popular, I think Kyle Rudolph is a decent leverage play. He's a guy who has some red zone equity that's kind of the last bastion of fantasy goodness that he has held, despite Irv Smith taking over, as he still scores touchdowns at a decent clip. Now Irv Smith not even there. I think he's probably one of the only guys who I'm just like outright fine playing without too much correlation because he's actually maybe negatively correlated to some chalk. So he doesn't have to positively correlate with my lineup if he's a decent value at 5K, which he's probably... I mean, I'd probably take him over Austin Hooper, probably take him, definitely, definitely take him over Tyler Higby, take him over Trey Burton at 5.5. So in that range, he's probably the best of those guys. I don't feel great about it, but he's the best of, of his price range. And he maybe negatively correlates with some chalk. I'm with you on that. I mean, it's tight end position is such a disaster. So correlate if possible. Otherwise, I mean, I don't have a lot of, of strong takes on, on these players. I, on FanDuel specifically, I will try to target Waller in my low-risk contest and just eat that mm-hmm. ownership. But, you know, instead of closing out with additional, like, punt tight end talk, let's talk about the Osmo Top Stacks tool, one of my favorite tools on the entire platform. This tells you the percentage owned of your quarterback, the chance that the top stack has of being the top stack on the week. Gives you leverage scores, value scores. It's a phenomenal tool. And Kyle... Our top stack, our Seattle stack, is coming in with the second highest value on the slate. It's coming in with the second highest probability of being the top stack on the day. And as of right now, it is top two in leverage as well with just 6.4% ownership for the quarterback on FanDuel and then the 10.6% chance of being the top stack on the board. So I am very much digging this Seattle stack. Does anything stand out to you? One thing I'll point out, Green Bay is another one in the top three in value, and it is also highly leveraged off the field. 
basically what we touched on earlier, it appears a lot of the ownership is coming towards these low owned stacks. I mean, these low price stacks and the highest leverage scores are actually going the opposite direction with some of the highly priced quarterbacks, highly priced receivers. What stands out to you doesn't necessarily have to be Seattle or Green Bay. Any other stacks you're potentially looking at? No, I mean, just in terms of overall construction, for the final time, I guess we get to hit on the fact that like there's a lot of leverage to be had in paying for the expensive quarterbacks plus their expensive receivers. And like it's not only that you get a different build, but I mean, statistically, based on the NFL top stacks tool, you are vastly more likely to have picked out the best scoring stack if you play a Seattle versus going, you know, cheap with, uh, you know, Tennessee cheap with cheap with the Chicago like uh, so I think for that reason it kind of hammers home what I am looking at I mean a few interesting things maybe a little bit of leverage to be had on Baker Mayfield very small amount but kind of interesting I think if you went for like uh, if you played Derrick Henry Baker Mayfield would probably be like the ideal way to make your Derrick Henry lineups different I'm not playing a ton of Derrick Henry's that's not my build this week but I think if you're in the chat looking and you're like man I just got to play the big dog it's we're officially in Dehember how can you not play Derrick Henry Run it back with the Baker Mayfield, I think, is probably the ideal way to build a unique Derrick Henry lineup. One game we haven't touched on, and we'll we'll close here before we get out of here. Sure. Atlanta, New Orleans. It's not drawing a ton of ownership. I think this is mostly because Taysom Hill is like sucked the life out of the New Orleans offense. But one of the highest leverage stacks in our tool is the Falcon stack. And I think this could be highly dependent on Julio's status. He didn't practice, so it's not looking particularly likely that he's going to play. Take this for what it's worth. I mean, there is still the potential. You take a, a low-cost Matt Ryan, you stack him with the alpha Calvin Ridley, and you just hope maybe, you know, Atlanta scores on the opening drive and it turns into more of a shootout than you expect. What do we do with the entire Atlanta situation? We could talk about Kamara as well. He's someone we haven't touched on, another player that Taysom Hill has really depressed in recent weeks. Yeah, Taysom Hill has also really depressed me in recent weeks because I love playing Alvin Kamara. And it seems like at this point, Alvin Kamara, after I believe he has now like negative yardage with Taysom Hill under center as a receiver specifically, seems like a touchdown dependent committee back, which like, man, what a rough scene for Alvin Kamara. But the way Taysom Hill plays kind of sucks the life out of all, like just the entire game environment because they run the ball so freaking much. It is like Taysom Hill runs, it's Alvin Kamara runs, it's now Latavius Murray runs. So I don't, like, I don't think it's impossible that, that that flips and that we see maybe Atlanta gets a defensive touchdown or just a long play to Calvin Ridley. He's kind of good at those things as their first drive, and then we start getting into a back-and-forth shootout. I think Michael Thomas is the only guy I'm comfortable running it back with. Even then, I think his price is a little bit too much just for how like how little we expect the team to pass. But we did see he went over 100 yards in his first game with Taysom Hill. So it's not impossible that he has a good game. Had he scored in that game, his price would probably be like through the roof at this point. So I wouldn't I wouldn't chastise anyone for playing a Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Michael Thomas lineup. This is a game that traditionally we would just be going absolutely berserk to target. But just because of Taysom Hill, it's not going to be in my builds. I don't think it's bad, though. And it's because it's so low owned. Yeah, I agree with you. Again, that's the top stacks tool. It's available on Osmo. Any of the resources we mentioned earlier can all be found there. But that'll do it for us today, guys. Thank you all for watching. Hit that thumbs up button on the way out. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell so you know this and all other shows are live. We do not have live before lock today. Of course, there are no other shows because there's no Thursday night football tonight. So we'll be back tomorrow with a full slate of shows back through the weekend. The four-hour marathon live before lock on Sunday. So check us out there. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Tweets here. You can find me at Matt underscore Gajeski, and we will see you again next week, same time, same place for the FanDuel Strategy Show. Have a good one, guys.